0: This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the release of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, we're counting down my favorite Assassin's Creed games of all time. Welcome back to Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Assassin's Creed. I have been a big fan of the series from the very first game all the way back in the far-flung reaches of 2008. And this week, along with a bunch of other games, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is hitting shelves uh, alongside the big consoles that are going to be coming out. It's a big week for gamers, and a big week just in general, more on that later. But uh, I'm really excited to talk about this. I've played pretty much every single game uh, in the Assassin's Creed franchise, and I cannot wait to talk about my favorites. Uh, We also have our weekly review on the latest episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Thank All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Kicking things off in the world of film, two pieces of news I want to share with you. First piece is, I think, a pretty big deal. Uh, Basically, Johnny Depp has officially resigned from Fantastic Beasts 3. He made a post on Instagram, which I will read here, and it states... In light of recent events, I would like to make the following short statement. Firstly, I'd like to thank everybody who has gifted me with their support and loyalty. I've been humbled and moved by your many messages of love and concern, particularly over the last few days. Secondly, I wish to let you know that I've been asked to resign by Warner Brothers from my role as Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts, and I have respected and agreed to that request. Um... I'll just read out the rest of this too. Finally, I wish to say this, the surreal judgment of the course of the court in the UK will not change my fight to tell the truth. And I confirm my plan that I plan to appeal. My resolve remains strong and I intend to prove that the allegations against me are false. My life and career will not be defined by this moment in time. Thanks for your reading. Um, this is kind of in, uh, this is all pretty much in, um, in response to the defamation lawsuit that he is, that he put forth uh, against Amber Heard. This is all spinning out of the drama between the two of them. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Um, he lost the court case for uh, in the UK based on a, uh, a bunch of different factors. I'm not gonna go into like huge details here. But um so basically uh the film is now uh being delayed from November twenty twenty one to july fifteenth of twenty twenty two and he is apparently going to be recast. Um there is a lot of drama going on with this, which sucks, but um I mean, no one's really excited for Fantastic Beast three either, which is a shame. But I don't know. Um, I do think that this needs to still uh put a spotlight on Amber Heard as well, because neither I mean, the stuff between them is just so toxic and it's not it's not good for either franchise, either actor really. Um, so I don't know if they are going to uh if Warner Brothers is gonna tell Amber Heard to step down as well, but we will see. Uh also in film news, a little bit more positive film news, we've gotten some uh, Set photos of Spider-Man 3, whatever they decide to call it. Um, still hometown hero, that's still, fingers crossed. Um, uh, basically Tom Holland in the Spidey suit that he, uh, ended the Far From Home film with. I still think that suit is gorgeous, and I'm glad that they're keeping up with it. Um, not really anything to talk about here, just the fact that he is there, he is in the suit, they are filming. So that's pretty much it, but, uh, if anything comes up, I'll let you know. Moving on to TV news, some sad news here with, uh, the TV in the TV space. Uh, Scooby-Doo co-creator Ken Spears died this past weekend at eighty, at the age of 82. Uh, Ken Spears was known for not just creating Scooby-Doo, but also uh, Dino-Mutt, Uh, Dino Mutt, Jabberjaw, he did work on Josie and the Pussycats, Pebbles and Bam Bam show, he was integral to a lot, integral, sorry, to a lot of people's childhoods, mine included, and this is, um, it's a tough loss, it really hurts, um, uh, he passed away on Friday, as of this recording, uh, from complications related to louis body dementia, which just sounds awful. And um, even though this is a loss that a lot of people are hurting from, to know that he isn't feeling any pain anymore is, um, I guess, a relief in some way. But this has been quite the year for celebrity deaths. And that's... Um, it's terrible because we also heard about the passing of Alex Trebek, uh, from Jeopardy, which is just another like huge, huge loss. Someone who also touched millions of people's lives throughout his, uh, throughout his life. So, um, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, um, in the, in light of just like how messed up this year has been, how it seems to keep taking and taking and taking from people um it's a shame and uh here at geeksplain we wish both of those families all the love and healing vibes that we can uh we can give so uh gonna move on into uh the comics realm uh two big pieces of news here first off uh both dc news um marie javins who we uh talked about in a previous episode had be- had taken up the uh, co-editor-in-chief uh, uh, position during the restructuring after the uh, DC bloodbath, uh, has been promoted to uh, singular editor-in-chief at DC Comics. Uh, Marie Javins was known, as we talked about previously, as the head of uh, digital marketing and... She's going to be working directly with the higher ups, including uh, publisher Jim Lee. So I'm excited about this. Marie Javins seems to be, you know, seems to have a good head on her shoulders. And hopefully this restructuring is going to be a big benefit to everybody. Uh, And then in other DC news, we now know the creative team or creative teams, rather, for uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe. Uh, This is kind of the big uh tie-in book if you're gonna read any of the tie-in books make it speed metal but also you could read last stories of the dc universe especially with these teams um i'm gonna just go ahead and read out the uh the post that they made they dropped this on uh, twitter and instagram uh it says how would you spend your last night on earth The final battle against the Batman who laughs is at hand. The final battle for the fate of the universe, the fate of everything is coming tomorrow and survival is not assured. But tonight our heroes have what might be their last chance to say their goodbyes, to let go of regrets, to spend time with the ones they love or to do as much good as they possibly can. For some, these stolen moments will be their last stories. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different stories in this kind of anthology book. Um, first off, it's the Titans in Together. This is going to be written by Joshua Williamson, James Tyner the Fourth, and Scott Snyder, with art by Travis Moore, Tamara Bonvelain, and uh, Deron Bennett. I'm sorry, uh, doing letters. Uh, this is Titans. This is your team. Uh, I'm definitely gonna be checking this one out for sure. This is all gonna be in one book, but there are some uh, stories that I'm more interested in others. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk about them. Uh, there's Green Lantern in Last Nights, uh, written by Jeff Lemire or Jeff Lemire, uh, art by Raphael Albuquerque and Ivan uh, Placencia. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, with Steve Wands on letters. Really excited about that. I, I he love rafael albuquerque as an artist he's one of my favorites and to hear that he's going to be doing green Lantern is really exciting uh we also have wonder woman in the question written by Mariko tamaki with art by uh, daniel sampari and adriana lucas uh letters by seda temafonte i'm so sorry if I mispronounced it. Um, But this is kind of the team that's on the book, on the mainline Wonder Woman book right now. Uh, We also have Green Arrow and Black Canary in Dust of a Distant Storm, written by Gail Simone, with art by uh, Megan Hetrick and Marissa Louise, with uh, letters by Travis Lanham. Um, That's exciting. I love Green Lantern and Black Canary, uh, especially written by Gail Simone. That's pretty exciting. Uh, We have Aquaman in Whalefall, Written by uh, Christopher Sabella with art by Chris Chris Mooneyham and Enrica Aaron Angelini. Damn, this is tough. I'm sorry. <laughs> with uh, letters by Dave Sharp. Aquaman, good stuff. Uh, we also have The Bat Family. Not just like Batman, Robin, all that stuff. The Bat Family in We Fight for Love. This is going to be written by Cecil Castellucci with art by Mirka Andolfo and Andrew dollhouse with uh, letters by Seta temafonte they are they are testing me here they're really trying their best um man this these names i'm sorry i'm so sorry uh we're gonna get through one more um and it's the one that i'm the most excited about uh superman in man of tomorrow written by mark wade my boy Art by Francis Manipal, my other boy, and Letters by Josh Reed. He's great, too. Um, Really excited about this. We have the uh, cover by Tula Lote with uh, D. Cunifei. God, oh, that hurts. Uh, (laughs) With a variant cover by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. Um, This sounds awesome. This sounds like the, you know, this is the last step before the big finale with uh, Death Metal... Issue seven or however they're going to end it. um, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to see what they do with these characters, with these stories. And this should be, you know, just like all the other tie-ins, a really, really good time. Uh, More about that in uh, the comic segment for today. We'll be talking about that later. But uh, moving right along to our final category, which is miscellaneous news. And the big piece of news, the news you've been waiting for me to talk about, uh, we have a new president. Over here in the states, uh, Joe Biden officially defeated Donald Trump in the electoral uh, race for 2020. Uh, Donald Trump becomes the first president in over 31 years to only have a single term, and that brings a smile to my face. Um, I'm really excited about uh, really excited about this. this is a this is a good change for the country, for my country. Uh, but the work's not done, so uh, I will leave it at that. I don't want to get super incredibly political but this is this is good news for me So, um, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. And then also good news is that uh, this is a big week. This is the week that next-gen consoles are releasing. Both the Xbox Series X and S as well as the PlayStation 5 are dropping this week, uh, which is really exciting. By the time you hear this episode, uh, you may have your hands on the Xbox Series X or Xbox Series S, which is really exciting. And then um, I believe as of this recording, PlayStation 5 drops tomorrow when you you will be listening to this um the days just bleed together here uh, but that's really exciting i'm a big fan of video games as you know i've been anticipating this and the next gen is finally upon us which rolls right on into our main course of the evening the entree if you will talking about the gigantic drop of assassin's creed valhalla you're uh, your perfect Viking experience, or so they are promising, as well as talking about my top five favorite Assassin's Creed games of all time. Assassin's Creed franchise has been one of my favorite video game franchises since uh, pretty much from the first outing. And ever since then, every time a new game is announced, I am immediately on board, regardless of how uh, good or not so good it ends up being. And here we are over a dozen games into this franchise, and today we're going to talk about them. Uh, this is to celebrate the release of the newest installment in the franchise, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I'm very excited about, and... Um, I I understand the criticism that uh, Assassin's Creed seems to be kind of losing its identity, especially when you look at a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, which, for all intents and purposes, wasn't really an Assassin's Creed game, was it? Um, but... The Viking aspect I'm really excited about from trailers and gameplay that we've seen of the game. Uh, It does look like there is going to be assassin involvement. So I'm excited. Plus having them go up, you know, dealing with uh, Vikings versus the British. The British are... With certain exceptions uh, shown to be very Templar-heavy when it comes to this franchise, so hopefully we'll be able to kind of course-correct and get back into the Assassins versus uh, Templars war that's been going on, but... Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm really looking forward to the game, and today we're gonna be talking about my top five favorite Assassin's Creed games from the series. A couple quick little disclaimers here, uh, some light spoilers will be involved, I'm gonna do my best to not spoil these games, even though, um, you should have played them already, uh, but if you haven't played them yet, I absolutely recommend checking these out. Uh, Also, this is my personal list. Uh, This is my list. It took a lot of time, a lot of soul searching, uh, wandering into a desert for 20 days and 20 nights. But Uh, If you disagree with this list, that's awesome. Feel free to reach out, whether it's on social media at Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or through email to GeekSplained at gmail.com. Send me your lists. I want to know them. I love talking Assassin's Creed with other Assassin's Creed fans. I want to hear what your list is. I want to know what your top five is. It would be great to have that conversation with you. Please let me know. Also, Any game with a standalone release is eligible for this list. I have to make that clear because... There is a game on this list that you might hear and go, wait a second, that wasn't a game, but it is because it did get its own standalone release. Uh so just be aware of that. Any game that has had a standalone release, we're talking games like uh, Assassin's Creed Bloodlines, which surprisingly enough is not on this list. I know it's a big shocker. Uh, but I am I'm really excited about this list. Putting this together was very difficult because, like I said, for um, I would say for the vast majority of these, I love all of them in a in a different way. Um, all of them really contribute to the overall Assassin's Creed franchise. However, there were some that were just you know not my favorite so um, let's just go ahead and dive into it um, this is going to be kind of similar in structure to my uh, favorite Final Fantasy games episode if you haven't listened to that yet go back in the archives check that out uh, we, I did that to celebrate the release of Final Fantasy 7 uh, remake and I had a lot of fun putting that list together so I th- figured this would be uh, just as good. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. At number five for my top five favorite uh, Assassin's Creed games of all time, we have Assassin's Creed 3. I know, I know this game is characterized and defined by big swings and big misses. Uh, This was directed by Alex Hutchinson and was released on PS3, Xbox 360, PC, and I bet you forgot about this, Wii U, uh, from October through November of 2012. Uh, I recognize right away this is a controversial pick. Uh, Assassin's Creed 3 is, for I think the vast majority of Assassin's Creed fans, no one's favorite Assassin's Creed game. Um, but honestly, this is uh, this is a sentimental pick. I feel like this game is really often overlooked because of just how big the leaps were made following this game. Uh, after this, just to kind of jog everyone's memory, after this game came out, we got Black Flag, which for many people is their favorite Assassin's Creed game. Assassin's Creed Rogue, which was... A, basically a smaller version, uh, one of my personal favorites as well, and then made the big jump to next gen with Unity, which everyone knows how Unity went. Um, so this often gets kind of looked at as almost the redheaded stepchild of the Assassin's Creed franchise because it was wedged right between the Ezio trilogy and Assassin's Creed Black Flag. But honestly, I really, really enjoyed this game. Uh, it was the end of an era, this kind of wrapped up Desmond's story in the main uh, modern day plot but also introduced us to Connor uh, and put it in one of my favorite settings of all time, the American Revolution. Uh, Connor is a polarizing figure. As the lead character, uh, especially the first lead character following Ezio, he had a lot to live up to. And for a lot of people, uh, myself included, he kind of, he didn't hit the bar that, uh, he didn't reach the bar that Ezio had, uh, kind of set for him. He was much more stoic, much more reserved, uh, I believe the word could be, uh, the word wooden could be used as well, but honestly, placing him as a half-British, half- Um, Native American uh, assassin kind of caught between two worlds in the middle of one of the most formative periods in the history of the world uh, is a hell of a setup and a hell of a premise for this story. Uh, Jumping right into the prose, the setting is super super strong. The American Revolution is one of my favorite periods. Um, If you are a big fan of Hamilton, this will be right up your alley because there are many uh, figures from that musical that do show up here because they are actual real historical figures and the way that they play around with the assassin's involvement in the american revolution as well as the years leading up to it is really really interesting as well uh this provide this is basically i'm going to try and figure this out so this is a sequel to assassin's creed rogue assassin's creed uh the Ezio trilogy assassin's creed um technically a sequel to assassin's creed uh storyline wise to uh black flag and runs almost parallel to assassin's creed unity they take place around the same time give or take a decade or so but uh this game is steeped in the lore of the uh of the assassin's creed series and putting it on such a huge stage as the American Revolution is incredibly strong. I make no uh, no bones about it. I'm a big fan of any kind of war type setting when it comes to stories World War II is my favorite but I have a big love for uh, Civil War American basically like all the American Wars which might be um, which might be selfish you know, a little bit I don't know, but, um, I'm a big fan of wartime stories, and putting this during one of the biggest wars of all time is, uh, is something that I'm, I really love about this game. Also, the game kicks us off with one of the best characters in the entire franchise, Fight Me, Hatham Kenway. Hatham Kenway is one of the most incredible characters with how layered he is, how, um, how many games essentially that he's appeared in as well? Uh, he is someone who is incredibly captivating and fascinating as a character. He also kind of harkens back to uh, to Ezio in that kind of elegant way. Uh, I've realized that. Ezio wasn't always elegant, but with the blade and with killing people, he eventually did become that way, and Haytham definitely speaks to that, Haytham is a character who I believe could have carried his own games, and even though it is a bit of a bait and switch to have him open the first, you know, two, three hours of the game before switching over to Connor, um... It doesn't make it any less enjoyable because Hatham is a very compelling character who brings you in right away and gets you interested in his story. Also, speaking of story, Connor's story overall is fantastic. Uh, Hatham basically being his father with a Native American woman and him being again caught between two worlds immediately spoke to me as someone who is uh, biracial. I immediately keyed into that kind of story. Also, him kind of learning his way through the fallen assassins order in the uh, in the colonial american colonies at this point having been devastated due to the uh due to the uh events of assassin's creed rogue is a really awesome story and it kind of um it's kind of a a take on the torchbearer story in uh, green lantern when kyle rayner was the last assassin going up against this in Basically having to restart the entire order um, in the same way that Kyle Rayner had to, you know, restart the uh, the Green Lantern Corps. I really dig that premise. Um, it's also, you know, him being caught up in the Revolutionary War, him kind of having to deal with both sides, having to make deals with both sides, um, him... You know, getting enemies and rivals throughout the story, him interacting with um, historical figures, I thought was really, really great. Some of my favorite, pretty much my favorite aspect of the Assassin's Creed games is going back and meeting these historical figures, living through these historic events. You know, I will never forget the moment when I was playing this game the first time, when it first came out in 2012. Uh, They're playing as a younger uh, Connor as he's walking through Boston. And, you know, this is Colonial Boston, so there's a lot of unrest. This is pre-Revolutionary War. Um, And you see this, you know, you're looking for your buddy Achilles, and you see this crowd that is, you know, kind of forming and angrily shouting, and you're like, oh, what's going on over there, thinking that, You know, at least I was thinking that, you know, oh, this might, you know, lead to the next story point. And before you can even, like, realize what's happening, boom, it's the Boston Massacre. I just remember being blown away by that. I just thought it was such a cool way to show how... Uh, how Connor was directly uh, involved with or observing historical events which is I think some of the stronger points of the franchise is when you can see them interacting with big historical events and you know larger than life historical figures so I really dig Connor's story you get to see him basically from birth all the way to him taking his place as essentially the, uh, the leader of the new, uh, Assassin's Order in, uh, Colonial America, so I really enjoyed that, it is like many, uh, Assassin's Creed games, a tale of revenge, but at this point, it hadn't really become, you know, a trope, it would just be. It was just a. Oh, okay. That's kind of weirdly familiar. So <laughs> I think it. I think it went really well. Also, really strong supporting cast. All the historical figures that I mentioned before do play a really big role. Charles Lee, who is you know one of history's biggest scumbags, is part of this story in a big way, and I love that. Um, also, Achilles Davenport, one of my favorite characters in the series, uh, makes a really great impression during this story. And... You know, just being able to build up your homestead, being able to interact with all these people, recruiting them, building out a community, it's really, really great. I just, I enjoy that. And this is, you know, hearkening back to the times of Assassin's Creed where it was like, you know, the main plot was Assassins versus Templars. And so I enjoyed that. That being said, of course, talking pros, we got to talk some cons as well. Um, as much as I did enjoy Hatham, uh, the Haytham bait and sweat which is a big factor in why a lot of people don't like this game very much and why it can be very jarring whether you're playing it for the first time or the, you know, 100th time. Um, Haytham and Connor are very different characters. Hatham is, uh, I would say, personally more compelling than Connor as a character. Um, Connor is not, you know, as uh, as charismatic or as dare I say interesting as Hatham, which is a shame because I think there's a lot of potential with Connor. I don't think that Connor is as bad a character as people make him out to be, but he's definitely not as strong a character as previous uh, Assassin's Creed characters, really just he was at that point being compared to Ezio and Altair. And while Altair, I think, is still a fantastic character, I would You know, at this point, just considering those first three protagonists, I would wedge Connor right in between uh, Altair and Ezio. Ezio obviously being at the top for those games um also speaking of games the gameplay is showing its age i recently uh, have been replaying assassin's creed 3 just to refresh my memory for this episode uh the remastered edition um and it is slow man maybe i just got really used to uh the origins and um odyssey gameplay with combat stealth all that stuff but um Combat is so slow here. Uh, I will say that it's really cool how uh, brutal and how much weight Connor has with him. hes I, I think they've said uh, at different times that he is the most physically imposing of all of the um, Assassin's Creed characters up to this point. Though Ivor or Eivor might give him a run for his money. Uh, but I really... I. I dig Connor, but at the same time, the gameplay is showing its age. This was, though, still during the time where uh, stealth was a big priority with the games, which isn't, you know, so much so nowadays, which is a shame. But, you know, this du- this did have a lot of the, you know, tailing missions and eavesdropping missions, which no one was a fan of at this point. It did drop, thank God, The uh, the... Revelations Tower Defense. There was no tower defense in this, which was great. Um, but the gameplay is definitely showing its age, as well as uh, as well as the graphics at this point. Frankly, uh, also the frontier. I've just even now, uh, I didn't like it then. I'm not a huge fan of it now. The frontier is very empty. This is. You know, back when they were still trying to figure out how they really wanted to take the open world aspects rather than just making it sequence by sequence. And even though, uh, th- you know, they did their best to make it as historically accurate as possible when it comes to the buildings and the towns and the frontier itself, um, just the long stretches of just nothingness really did bother me. Um, this is in, you know, contrast to more recent games like uh, Origins which i would argue was just as big much bigger and just had had just as many you know open spots of desert but still populated that open area so i've never been a huge fan of the frontier um i really i like my games to have you know structures that i can climb up and jump off of but um yeah. Also, I kind of mentioned it before, but Connor's portrayal in this story isn't fantastic. Um, he seems to—he's very bullheaded, which again I can relate to. Connor might be one of the most relatable characters <laughs> in the franchise because he's just frustrated with everyone and just makes decisions based on his um, on his limited worldview, which I think a lot of us can. Uh, can um, relate to personally Uh, but he is not you know what I would call an elegant character he's not you know someone who has a ton of depth he does have depth to him but it's not as much as uh, some of the characters both preceding and following him also um, Connor's overall impact on the setting I wish had been expanded upon Uh, we've seen in prior games as well as games past Uh, or games following Assassin's Creed 3, how much the assassins, um, specifically the main characters, how much influence they have on world events. Uh, One of, you know, the best things about Assassin's Creed is that they can recontextualize certain historical events as being just a piece of the greater puzzle that is the war between assassins and Templars. And Connor's overall impact on the Revolutionary War is very small, um, which is a shame. There are moments where, you know, you get yourself really revved up to participate in something, and it's like, oh, no, you got to run over here. You got to avoid everything going on. So it is frustrating. Um, I wish he had more of an impact on the greater setting, the greater story going on, but, you know, it is what it is. Also, the ending is really weak. Um, I'm sorry. You know, Connor's ending, I think, is incredibly strong, but the ending of the modern-day setting with Desmond, the world ending, and all that... um, is not my favorite. It is one of my least favorite in fact because it just it makes you feel like everything you've done in the modern day sequences especially the modern day sequences in this particular game means nothing. Um I just I've never been a fan of the ending personally. I don't see why they had to make certain choices especially concerning Desmond um that they ended up making. But, you know, It is what it is, unfortunately. Uh, The game, I still think, is a great time. It's still incredibly strong. Like I said, American Revolution... Right up my alley. Um, someone, you know, being kind of torn between two worlds is something that speaks to me, and it's that's the reason that I I put it on this list. It was tough deciding this. I came up with like every other point or uh, every other uh, place on this list very easily, but it, this was kind of a toss up with uh, two other games, um, but. It was uh, ultimately the strength of the of the game itself, as well as the setting and all the reasons I listed before, really is what ended up you know clinching the uh, the win, the uh, fifth place on this list. And good news, it is available now for you to check out. You can uh, play it on current gen. I believe it's um, PC, Xbox One, PlayStation Four. I think they even have a copy for Switch now, and they're all going to be the remastered edition, which. Is great, does a lot of graphical and uh, gameplay updates also uh, retroactively gets in some legacy outfits that I am a big fan of Um, Having Connor run around in X robes is so cool and so weird at the same time, Um, but overall, this is a much better version than the original game, and jumping from, you know, my memories of the original game into this remastered edition, I was very satisfied with it, so if you've never played it, or it's been a very long time since you've played the original version, play the remastered version, it's pretty great. Next up, at number four, another controversial pick. Uh, This is Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry. I know you're thinking, wait. What? Um, This is a spinoff slash DLC entry into the Assassin's Creed franchise. Uh, This was directed by Ashraf Ismail and uh, was released on PS4 and PC in February of 2014. If you don't know what Freedom Cry is, um, Freedom Cry was a download was a DLC story for uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. This kind of serves as an epilogue for Black Flag as well as a uh, prologue for the timeline on this is all over the place but uh, i know you're thinking wait a second you said they have to have standalone entries this does the official like standalone version of this game where you don't need to have a black flag to play this was released as a standalone entry on ps4 and pc so you can go on the playstation store you can go on steam you can find it and It's a fantastic time, man. It really, really is. Um, And that's really on the... It's kind of carried on the shoulders of its main protagonist, Adewale. Adewale is another one of my favorite characters in the entire franchise. Adewale is incredible. Um, This does deal with the aftermath of the events of uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, where after Edward Kenway, you know, did his whole story linked up with the uh, greater Assassin's assassins Order that is slowly rebuilding itself, Um, Adewale kind of went off on his own to do his own thing. And he ends up going back to a section of Haiti to deal with the slave trade. Yikes. Very, very heavy subject matter here. And I think, honestly, they do a fantastic job in handling it. Um, Everything that I love about this game is what a lot of people love about Black Flag. But for me, this narrows it, this focuses it, and it makes this game work all the more. Um, First off, talking about pros, this expanded Adewale as a character. Adewale was always awesome in Black Flag, just on his own as Edward's uh, first mate. And this game just expands on that. Playing as Ottawale, he has, just like Connor does, a kind of brutality to him. All of his fights are fantastic. You get uh, two great... New weapons that are exclusive to him. The blunderbuss and the machete. Basically a shotgun and a machete. I absolutely love those weapons. And they really do a great job. In uh, kind of differentiating him. From Edward in that game. Uh, This also like I mentioned before. It tackled a very sensitive subject. With the utmost respect. Anawale is uh, is an escaped former slave. When we meet him in Assassin's Creed Black Flag. And him coming back to... Essentially, the place, uh, essentially, the source of his trauma and helping to free other slaves is an incredibly powerful and compelling story. And it keeps you gripped from beginning to end. Uh, This also, for me at least, enhanced a lot of the uh, gameplay that was present in Black Flag. Like I said, Ottawale moves with a weight to him that is not unlike Connor, but is, you know, I would say a little bit more nuanced than uh, than Edwards is. Edward is very floaty. He is, you know, he is the nimble assassin in his game, but Ottawale has a ground has a grounding to his character, has a grounding to his gameplay style, and I just really enjoy it. Uh, It's also, as I mentioned before, it's a focused narrative. The big problem for me when it comes to Black Flag just as a game, and even though, like I said, it is very many people's favorite game, um... The problem with that is, uh, with that game specifically for me, is the story. The story uh, at many times just kind of meanders or goes off in directions that it doesn't feel like it needs to, and repeats certain story beats so that you can get this, you know, you know, admittedly cool side story going on. But it ends in a way that kind of resets you back to where you were before the whole story started, which makes it non-essential even though it's part of the main plot uh with this it's a very focused story you get exactly what you need to get no more no less and the area that you get to play in is really fun having otawale kind of going off and you know, making his way through different settlements, different plantations as well. is uh, It's just a great time, and Otawali really sells the story itself, and it's a fun game. Everything that you loved about Black Flag is here, but it's more focused. Uh, for cons, though, there are some cons. Uh, it's too short. This game is, like, maybe five hours long, maybe, um, which sucks because I feel like even though... You know, they do everything that you would need to do in the story in the time allotted. I would have loved more time with the character and with the plot. Um, It's also still part of that um, Kenway era gameplay. So a lot of people love that. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people love the uh, Kenway era when it comes to its gameplay. But just like Assassin's Creed 4 or Assassin's Creed 3, rather, um, it is starting to show its age uh the i still you know and maybe it's because like i said i've really acclimated to the new assassin's creed style combat the waiting in a crowd of people for someone to counter so you can actually like do some combat still bothers the hell out of me and it really just ah it still bothers me um with how slow slow paced the gameplay is so that does uh that does suck but overall it's still one of my favorite entries into the entire franchise if you you know are looking for an assassin's creed title that kind of harkens back to the older style but don't want to commit you know 40 hours to it this is a perfect game this is a perfect game for that because it gives you that best of slice of that era when it comes to assassin's creed in a concise story with a compelling protagonist tackling a very sensitive subject that like I said they handle beautifully in the framing of the story and again it's available now Uh, you can uh, get it as a standalone game on PS4 and PC if you want to play it on Xbox and Switch you can get the uh, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag copy of that and I believe the newest edition does come bundled with all the DLC so it should be in there But, like I said, it's a fantastic game with a great protagonist, lots of fun, and that is why it is at my number four. At number three, we have the big one. This is Assassin's Creed 2. This is the one that changed it all. This is the one that changed the course of the Assassin's Creed franchise, and uh, changed it for the better, I would say. This was directed by Patrice Desolets. This has been a tough episode for name (laughs) pronunciations. I'm so sorry. Um, And it was released on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC on November 17th of 2009. This is the opening chapter the beginning of the Ezio saga and this was a huge change of pace for the series i still remember sitting on my computer watching youtube watching the reveal trailer for assassins creed 2 after loving the first game though it did have its problems and spoiler alerts not on this list um I remember just seeing, you know, oh, my God, it's going to be during the Italian Renaissance. There's this new character and, whoa, he's got a gun now. So I I was blown away by this game when it first came out. Um, this game was uh, inter- integral. I've already messed up that word once in this episode, but this game was integral to my love for the franchise and to a lot of people's love for the franchise. A lot of people still rank this as their number one game and uh, you would be hard-pressed to get an argument from me. Uh, the game is absolutely stunning, uh, taking all of the best bits of, Asa- of the first Assassin's Creed game and doing away with all the stuff that doesn't work. Um, first off, it brings in the brand-new uh, protagonist, Ezio Auditore da Firenze, um, who is a breath of fresh air from the very stoic Altair and telling the story of revenge, where he is brought into the Assassin's Guild after his family is murdered in front of his eyes, uh, was really, really cool. Um, getting to run around uh, in Italy, in Florence, uh, was just, it's breathtaking. The amount of effort they put into this game is still Still incredible, and it set the bar for years for this franchise. Uh, jumping into the pros here Ezio in the narrative is right off the top. Uh, Ezio is a very, very fun character, and over the course of this game, he grows a lot. He goes from this flighty, uh, dashing kind of rogue into this less flighty but no less dashing, um. Uh, elder statesman, a journeyman, if you will, of the Assassin's Order, and his revenge quest against the man who would be Pope is one of the best revenge stories in the entire franchise, and there have been plenty. Uh, The narrative itself is also really, really cool. The setting is fantastic. Italy is just, oh, especially during um, during the Italian Renaissance, it was it's still beautiful and stunning and gorgeous to look at. Um, the attention to detail to not just the character, but the, um, the architecture. This, like I said, set the bar for historical accuracy, give or take a few blocks, um, for the entire franchise going forward. And Ezio was an exciting enough character that you that he was able to carry two other games to his name. Uh, This also had large improvements over the first game when it came to uh, not just the tightness of the story, not just the gameplay, but also um, the innovations. You know, the dual blades, I thought, was uh, really inspired. You know, the gun that is uh, part of the uh, assassin's or the, uh, the hidden blade is also really cool, and it gave you more exciting, uh, it gave you more tools to pull off assassinations, to achieve your goals, and also, um, the customization here, you know, Altair was, um, the first game was unfortunate in the idea that, uh, a lot of the innovations that kind of define the game nowadays weren't present. Uh, the customization, you know, getting different capes, getting different outfits for Ezio was one of the big uh, positives of this game that the first game just didn't have. That being said, there are some are some negatives for this game. Uh, it is showing its age. It is a it is an eleven year old game, folks. It will be it will turn eleven years old uh, next week, actually, um, so it is, uh, unfortunate, but, you know, it was a game made in 2009, so, uh, there are going to be some gaming conventions, uh, some graphical issues that you will find that are present in the game and have always been present in the game. Uh, the combat is also so boring. It was a huge improvement off of the first game, but still, um, this was you know prior to the innovations that they made in the combat with Assassin's Creed 3, 4 and so on and so forth uh the you know what I talked about in the previous entry with the wait for somebody to attack encounter wait for somebody to attack encounter is still it's boring as all hell and it really just it doesn't it's not fun um that's just me maybe you love the combat in this uh in this era of assassin's creed but it's just not my cup of tea and then the missions are incredibly repetitive this was um still around you know in the same vein as the first game where there was a lot of follow this person eavesdrop on this person follow this person get for more information pickpocket this person it was just it was a lot of stuff that you know nowadays just would be torn apart if it was to come out in a new um a new game so honestly like you know there are you know pros and cons to this game but it is still an absolute classic and you can find it as part of the Ezio collection. That is the way that I would recommend it. It has all three games, uh, Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations. Uh, You can find them for PS4 and Xbox One. I want to say it's on PC as well, but I might be wrong on that. But if you wanted an entry point into Assassin's Creed and you are okay with aging graphics and aging and, you know, not so tight gameplay, this is a great entry point in the franchise. And it, Absolutely holds its spot at the number three position. At number two, we have Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Uh, this is the overlooked and polarizing entry of this uh, of this list. I'm sure this was directed by uh, Mark Alexis Coate, uh, Scott Phillips, and Wesley Pincombe, and it was released on the PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and PC on October twenty third, twenty fifteen. I recognize that a lot of people hate this game, for whatever reason. I think a large reason is uh, the Unity effect. We all know what happened with Assassin's Creed Unity on launch the previous year—bugs um, plenty, game crashing, just a dark, a dark period for the Assassin's Creed franchise. Uh, and unfortunately, the game that followed it, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, was. Incredible, but was not able to steer enough people away from the bitter taste that Assassin's Creed Unity had left, um, which is incredibly unfortunate because this game is solid. Uh, it introduces two protagonists for the first time in the series who get to play as the twins, Jacob and Evie Fry, two of my favorite uh protagonists in the entire franchise uh this also introduced us uh, some updates to the uh, assassin recruitment in the gang warfare that was prevalent throughout the game and this is for its setting the most modern of the assassin's creed games taking place in victorian london uh specifically like late 1800s uh victorian london and i i love london i love london as a setting um this game is probably what i would say like the last like truly assassin's creed oriented game in the franchise uh this would be followed up by uh origins and odyssey which to varying degrees for many people aren't considered assassin's creed games um Uh, Like I said, I would agree wholeheartedly on Odyssey's. It's not really an Assassin's Creed game origins. I would disagree, but um, this is the last one that I can kind of look at as being like, oh, yeah, that is like obviously an Assassin's Creed game. Uh, Let's jump into the pros. Honestly, characters and setting are paramount here. Um, Like I said, I love Jacob and Evie Frye. They're two of my favorites in the entire uh, franchise. I'm also a big fan of Henry Green, their their compatriot, who ends up being uh, very important to Evie Frye later on in her life. Uh, And then the setting, London, is absolutely amazing. I've always had a fascination with the city, and getting to run around and... You know, interact with characters and um, concepts of the time is incredibly fulfilling. Running into characters like Charles Darwin... Um, is just, it's, it's so ridiculous. Alexander Graham Bell, like these characters that, you know, we've heard about. And it's one of those things, like once again, that I love about Assassin's Creed is being able to run into historical figures, being able to participate in historical events. It's just, it's something that I love about the franchise and this game has it in spades. Uh, speaking of London, it is a dense playground with so much to do every single corner. There's something happening. It's something that, uh, I think all, you know, open world games should have is something going on throughout the entire map. You can make a gigantic map just like Odyssey did, but if you don't populate it with interesting things to do, then it's just excess for excess's sake. And thankfully. Uh, syndicates london is not that london is a dense playground that you get to play in for whatever you want to do you want to race coaches go for it you want to participate in a fight club go for it you want to free child slaves go for it like you can do all of these things in the game and the tools that you are able to um, utilize to do all these things is so much fun Uh, also alongside this you get a. Brief look into the future of that time period. Uh, just like in other games, there are these uh, helix fragments where you get to jump into a different time and place. Unity kind of kicked this off with you know running up you know the Eiffel Tower during occupied you know in occupied France during World War II. Uh, this one shows off the uh, the story of Lydia Fry, uh, who. Gets to play around in London during World War One. If they had made an entire game off of this, I wouldn't have complained. I this might be one of my favorite, if not my favorite, parts of the game. And it's not just like a oh, here's a cool mission. There's an entire like mini campaign in this, uh, in this space, in this setting that's like. I'm pretty sure like an easy like three, you know, two to three hour campaign that you can play through, you know, to give yourself a break from the Victorian era. You get to, you know, gun down enemy planes and like it's, just, it's so cool. Um, also, the DLC for this is so great. Um, specifically, there is a DLC where uh, Evie Fry gets to go up against Jack the Ripper. That's all I'm going to say, because it's so cool. Um, The storytelling is on point for that. The passage of time is really well utilized, and it really does honestly feel like an entry in the series that is as valid as any entry that had come before it. Unfortunately, there are some, some... Downsides to this game Uh, as much as I love the characters the story is very run-of-the-mill the the story is not as interesting as I would like or as it becomes in the uh, Jack the Ripper DLC Um, which is a shame because the characters are really really well utilized. to that point, though, uh, I think what could have helped the story and the game as a whole, it uh, needed more focus and needed a more focused perspective. Uh, from reports and rumors that I've seen, originally Evie was supposed to be the main protagonist, but you know, pushback on Ubisoft um, caused them to have them both be available, and I think, um, I think Evie. Personally, I like Evie more than Jacob, but I like them both. Uh, I love both of those characters. Uh, Evie would have been a much more interesting character to just get more time with. Uh, A lot of her story is unfortunately utilized as, oh, Jacob went and did something stupid. This is Evie reacting to it, which is unfortunate. And it kind of makes you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions for most of the game, which, when it again, when it goes to the DLC, uh, is very Ev focused, and you are able to see just how compelling a character she can be on her own, which I really, really enjoy. Um, also, as Much as I can praise this game, as much as I can heap love onto this game over and over and over again, uh, the game as a whole just wasn't strong enough to bring people back to the series. Uh, It isn't strong enough to really tell people, hey, if you've never played an Assassin's Creed game before, this is the one to play. Because of all of the ill will due to uh, Unity, which I will say, I replayed in, um, what was it? 2019 2018 um and i actually really thoroughly enjoyed unity it almost made it on this list but i really um i just think that it's a shame that this game doesn't get the love that it deserves because it is an absolutely valid assassin's creed game and definitely deserves your time and you can play it on current gen consoles as well as i believe pc So if you haven't played it before, absolutely it deserves your time. It is a fantastic game, a fantastic entry into the franchise, and one of my favorites in the entire series. But it's not my favorite. Um, My favorite, my number one Assassin's Creed game in the entire franchise is Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, This was the birth of a new era in the Assassin's Creed franchise. This was directed by... uh, by jean guesdon god i'm so sorry um and ashraf ismael and was released on playstation 4 xbox one and pc on october 27th 2017 um this is it this is my favorite game in the franchise and you might be surprised by that you might be surprised that it's not another Ezio game you might be surprised that it's not black flag but honestly this game for me is such a big deal because of the state of the Assassin's Creed franchise prior to this game, um, prior to this game, you know, let's run this up to uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Assassin's Creed came out every single year since its debut. Um, I b- that's actually that's actually incorrect, but it it came out every single year essentially since um, really uh, for the majority of the franchise and every single year it kind of started to become stale you know we were seeing diminishing returns with the franchise and when unity just absolutely you know the release of that with how high the expectations were for it it really you know forced ubisoft to take a good hard look at the franchise and even though uh, syndicate was already on its way and released the very next year they made no bones about the fact that we need to look at this franchise and we need to save it because it is on a sinking ship right now. So for the first time since the, uh, the second game, I believe, um, they took a year off. You know, this game was the next one released. The Like I said, Syndicate was released in 2015. This one wasn't released until 2017. Um, and they retooled the entire game. Um, and what it resulted in was a breath of fresh air for the franchise. This game was a complete overhaul of both gameplay and scope, uh, where... You know, previous games had been very um, tight on what they were trying to reconstruct, with the exception, of course, obviously, of Black Flag being so huge and expansive. Uh, This game decided to take that historical accuracy and spread it all over ancient Egypt. Um, This also, like I said, had a huge overhaul when it came to the combat. This is my favorite Assassin's Creed combat of the entire franchise. I like it more than Odyssey. I do. I just do. and honestly, the the scope of the narrative, the scope of the setting, ancient Egypt being a setting, is still friggin' awesome. Um, the gameplay, all of that would have fallen flat if we didn't have great characters, and thankfully we did. Uh, Bayek, Aya, uh, the narrative of the birth of the Assassin's Order is such a powerful... Um, Premise to have and having those two as our main characters, that being Baik and Aya, going through this incredible story is so compelling and it kept me hooked on this game from start to finish. Uh, also, I mentioned it before Ancient Egypt is such a great. Place to put an Assassin's Creed game. We have been talking about it. People for years. Since the second game released. And we realized. Oh. Every numbered entry is going to have a different setting. Everything was on the table. People wanted World War II, Like myself. People wanted. um, Feudal Japan. They wanted French Revolution. And they wanted Ancient. Egypt. And Ancient Egypt. Absolutely met all expectations and exceeded them. Bringing out this this huge map that, even though there were great expanses of desert, always had something waiting for you was so freaking cool. Also, not only did they revamp and give us a brand new um past protagonists they also gave us a brand new modern day protagonist which we had been sorely needing since desmond mild in assassin's creed 3 Layla hassan even though she took a very uh dark turn in odyssey no spoilers um was a breath of fresh air when when it came to the modern day stuff just being like hey all first person or hey you're the main you're the modern day protagonist or hey we're just not even going to bother with it so this was a great um, a great soft reboot for the series which I really really enjoyed uh, let's just dive into the pros like I said uh, Bayek, I and Layla were all fantastic characters Bayek is my favorite protagonist you can fight me it's fine but I will use my superior combat to outdo Ezio every single time <laughs> Um, I love Bayek as a character, he is someone who uh, has to deal with a lot, but he takes all of the best stuff that I liked about Connor, and kind of blends it with other protagonists, you know, a lot of people would say, um, Ezio's their favorite, Edward is their favorite, totally get it, for me, the growth that Bayek goes You know, the growth that Bayek experiences from the beginning of this game to the end of this game is immense. He has to deal with the loss of his child, the loss of his marriage. Like, he has to deal with a lot in this game. And you get to see him kind of find his way, find his purpose, you know, find like-minded individuals, establish the Assassin's Order. Like, it's so cool and having a character that's as compelling as that alongside having a character as compelling as Aya also known as Amunet later on is so great can you imagine having these two characters having two rock star characters in a single game like this they work so well when they're apart but they are absolute magic when they're together as well it's just fantastic characters all around Uh, also the I cannot overstate the combat in this is so buttery smooth it is so fun it is so uh, open to interpretation, you know, you've got different weapons, you've got different, you've got shields, I love shields, um, just having this big overhaul, having this be a focus, I recognize kind of, uh, drifts away from the stealth aspect, though I would say there are stealth components in the game that work as well as they could, um, I love the combat in this. It makes any time that you get into a combat situation not immediately like, oh, God, now I have to deal with this. It's like, oh, God, let's let's friggin' do this. I'm ready. So I really enjoyed that. Again, I can't overstate as well the setting. Egypt is fantastic, especially during this pivotal time. We've got Cleopatra. We've got uh, Ptolemies II. Like, we've got all of these incredible... We got Caesar. You know, we've got the um, influences of not just... Uh, Egypt but also you know drifting into the Roman Empire as well while it's still established and all of the um trials and tribulations that come with that. The DLC is also incredibly strong, The Hidden Ones, one of my favorite DLCs of the entire franchise. Also um what is it what is it called um Wrath of the Pharaohs is also incredibly strong and is one of the favorites of many people when it comes to DLC. And I have to mention this because i don't think people talk about it enough the discovery tour for this game that was established in this game is a revelation is an absolute game changer because it elevates the assassin's creed franchise from a fun video game to an interactive learning aid yes you know it's you know something that is not especially fun to play through, but if you're trying to learn about ancient Egypt, if you're trying to learn about history, you can use this game. You can use this to teach yourself to learn. Uh, I've heard of teachers using this tool to help people, uh, to help students learn about this in a way that they are they can be excited about. And this is something that I am so glad that they are trying to implement as the uh, series continues on. I think it's an incredible um, invention, and I hope that they continue to use it throughout the rest of the series. That being said, I cannot um, I cannot, in good conscience talk about how much I love this game without talking about its flaws. Um, the game in itself, and I will... I will admit this is too different from Assassin from classic Assassin's Creed games. If you put this next to Assassin's Creed 2, they're two completely different games. It doesn't no matter how you slice it, they're two completely different games. Uh, this was also, you know, the radical shift from act from stealth to action is uh, it's jarring and it can be jarring, especially if you are a longtime Assassin's Creed fan and you have, you know, enjoyed getting to focus on Stealth tactics, you know, finding out ways to assassinate, uh, having it be so much more action oriented can be a struggle if that is not what you are coming to this fr- if that is not what you are coming to this franchise for. Also, the leveling and gear system is not as strong as I would like. Um, it is really just you can tell that this was kind of made to be a precursor to Odyssey rather than its own, you know. Singular game, which sucks because I I believe truly that this is one of the best games in the entire franchise and does not get the love that it deserves, much like Assassin's Creed Syndicate. But I also I can respect the fact that the uh leveling and gear system wasn't as fleshed out as it ended up becoming in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And it also in that uh in that vein was in a way, maybe too ambitious. It was almost too ambitious and it was more focused on gameplay over the narrative. As much as I love the story of Bayek and Aya, the, the greater, grander story and narrative involved is not the strongest in the series, even though I would argue it is one of these. Str- it is very strong, it is not one of the strongest. And it is very much carried by its characters, which is both a positive and a negative and I just I can't help it I love this game so much um but they you can tell that they really wanted to focus on making the game fun to play and that kind of single-minded focus on it really doesn't allow for a lot of um, other things to be focused on, which is unfortunate. Uh, But I do think that they were able to uh, course-correct that with patches, DLC, and stuff like that. Um, If you have never played this game, if you haven't played it in a while, if you were looking to gear up before the release of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, you can check it out. I would recommend the Gold Edition if it's on sale. Do not get the Gold Edition for full price. If you can find the Gold Edition on sale, it has all the DLC, the season pass, whatever, get it. It is a fun time. It is a great breath of fresh air for the franchise. Whether or not you enjoy the Assassin's Creed franchise up to this point, there is something in this game for you. Whether it's narrative, whether it's character, whether it's gameplay, you will find something you love about this game. Even if you don't love the the whole package, you will find something you love about this game. This game kept me sane for my first... Uh, to, to kind of celebrate the first year of me moving out to LA, this came out, you know, just after my, uh, you know, my first year of living in Los Angeles. And it's tough living in Los Angeles, especially, you know, moving here. Uh, is very tough and getting to kind of have this experience is like a, a celebration of um, making it a full year was really um, it's a reason that if this is a sentimental choice and it's a reason that I you know come back to this game again and again also it's just a great game you know you can you know whine and complain and you know give very valid i I guess I, I have to be fair, uh, give very valid critiques on the state of the Assassin's Creed franchise, on the direction that it's going, whether or not you know they can um, really call the newest games Assassin's Creed games. But overall, this is a strong game and one of the best entries into the franchise. And in my opinion, the very best. So to recap the list here, we've got uh, at number five, Assassin's Creed 3, number four, Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry Number three, Assassin's Creed 2. Number two, Assassin's Creed Syndicate. And number one is Assassin's Creed Origins. But regardless of my list, regardless of where you uh, tend to fall on the Assassin's Creed franchise, uh, everybody has a favorite Assassin's Creed game. This franchise has lived for over a decade now. And whether or not you love all of the entries, I am sure that if you are listening to this, you have a particular entry into the franchise that you love and adore. And with the release of Assassin's Creed Valhalla this week, as of this recording, I believe that the Assassin's Creed franchise is alive and well. And that fact is both true and, at least on this podcast, absolutely permitted. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode 2 of season 2 of The Mandalorian, entitled Chapter 10. The Passenger. Now, uh, the first episode, last week's episode, came out absolutely swinging with a huge, almost hour-long adventure where, uh, Mando and the child faced off against this giant Tremors-like, uh, sand creature, and this episode was a little bit smaller in scope, I think, um, It was, I think, the definition of a side quest episode. Uh, A lot of people talked about, you know, the first season being very episodic, being very side quest heavy. And this episode kind of feels like that because we weren't really advancing the main plot. We weren't going anywhere with the Empire or more about the child or finding other Mandalorians. But that does not mean that this was a bad episode. Not in the slightest. I really enjoyed this episode for the most part. Um... But anyway, so the episode is uh, basically about Mando and the child having to deliver this frog lady and her little baby eggs to another planet one sector away. Unfortunately, they can't do uh, light speed because the uh, light speed would, I guess, uh, kill the eggs. Uh, So they have to take the slow route. And on their way, they are met by two X-Wings. Classic, like, original trilogy x-wings which i really enjoyed seeing um just seeing like the old school pilot uniforms the uh the screens the cockpits it just it gave me such great og trilogy feels it was fantastic just seeing them again and another asian star wars character always excited about that um but basically they end up have having to uh under false pretenses essentially going after mando's ship and as they make their way down into this ice planet which i could have sworn was like ilum or something like that um Mando ba- manages to escape from them but then gets stuck in a cave when his ship falls through the ice uh this is where the episode took a sharp left turn um and for me this is where the episode became something that was very difficult to watch uh because they basically encounter these giant, uh, very hostile spiders inside of this cave. And if you know anything about me, I do not, I I don't, I don't do spiders, man. I'm not, I am just, I can't. Not me. Couldn't be me. I'm not a spider's guy. Um, so immediately this episode became a nope, 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 fest for the entire rest of the rest of this episode um watching our boy torch these spiders was super cathartic but just seeing them like crawling all over the place it just ugh, gave me gave me the heebie-jeebies. and it also gave me some severe fallen order flashbacks uh if you ever played the game and you spent any amount of time on Kashyyyk you know exactly what I'm talking about um so this was a lot uh, also in this episode, uh, Baby Yoda, the child, Baby Yoda was kind of a shithead in this episode. I mean, I don't like to, um, I don't like to, you know, rag on on characters like this. But this child just kept eating the Frog Lady's eggs, and I was like, dude, like. I re- I realized like you're a baby and you don't really have any concept of this, but like come on, man! And it didn't really. I thought it was going to pay off in some kind of uh, some kind of like narrative shifting way, but it was really just kind of to pay off the gag at the end. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. They did they went a long way to make uh, the child kind of unlikable in this episode, which I get. Like he's a child; he can't be you know cute and everything. 100% of the time but it just kind of went too far in the other direction for me but um overall this was a really good episode I will not be wa- re-watching this episode anytime soon because just no I'm not gonna do it but I really love the just the quality just the um not not just, like, the storytelling, the narrative and whatnot, but I kept watching this episode and kept, like, saying to uh, my partner, basically telling her, like, I love the quality of this show, like... The effects on this show are ridiculously well done for a TV show, and I am just astounded at the stuff that they get to pull off, Uh, the last episode being a prime example, but also just seeing, you know, the X-Wings flying around in this episode really puts into perspective just how much care they're putting into this show, and I honestly, I can't wait to see next episode. I'm really, really jazzed, especially because I am crossing my fingers that we never have to come back to this planet again so <laughs> um, really liked it looking forward to next episode so tune in next week for uh next week's weekly review on episode three but for now we're gonna roll right on into this week's comics countdown <laughs> Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. Uh, but before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks playing pick of the week of last week. And i'm gonna be honest there were a few different contenders this past week some really really good books uh special shout out to uh thor um marauders which surprised the hell out of me and uh dc's dead planet all three of those books were in contention at one point or another um thor kicked off a brand new arc that is really really freaking cool um I'm I'm really excited to jump into more of that arc uh, same thing with deceased deceased really uh, had a great uh, kind of adjacent story to the main plot um, that was both tragic and fulfilling at the same time and marauders just kind of came out of nowhere and really surprised me with how much fun of a read it was so, really really uh enjoyed those books but the book that stuck out the most for me the book that i had to make my pick of the week was firepower number five written by robert kirkman with art by chris Somni. um this book is just fantastic we've officially hit the point where the gear shifts and um we have kind of kicked things into overdrive for this book narratively. So I can't wait to see where the book goes from here. Lots of great action, lots of great character moments, just a really, really fun book to read. But that's last week's books. Let's talk about this week's books. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books for you to check out this week. We'll be talking about each book's title, creative team, and synopsis, and each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive into the list here First off, kicking things off with Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour X-Dream, and that's X-Dream with three X's. What a title. Um, I am going to say I will uh, just put it all out here. Out of all of the uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal tie-ins, and I personally have been enjoying the tie-ins more than the actual book itself, that's just me, but I I have, Uh, this is the first tie-in that I'm not sure about. This is the first title that I'm a little hesitant about because I'm not really a Lobo guy. I've never been a Lobo guy, even though I grew up in the 90s and Lobo is one of the most 90s characters that you could ever think of. Um... I've just never been a huge fan, but I'm willing to give this a shot because the tie-ins have been so strong. And the creative team, man, written by Becky Cloonan and Frank Thierry with Art by Dale Eaglesham. Big fan of all those creators, so I'm willing to give this a shot. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Pull up a chair, you bastitches. It's time for Uncle Lobo's Infinite Hour. It's your chance to let the main man lobotomize you with familiar yet freaky stories of the DC universe, exactly as he remembers them. With blood and guts and extreme gratuitous violence. Tell your comic sky to put you down for all the copies. So yeah, this sounds ridiculously 90s, which, again right up Lobo's alley. Uh, We're going to give this a shot. We'll see what happens with this issue. Next up, we have Strange Academy, number five, written by Scotty Young with art by Humberto Ramos. I've been really enjoying this book. Um... I kind of knew I was going to enjoy this book when it was first announced, and I first picked up the uh, the initial, the debut copy, uh, the debut issue, but I've been really enjoying getting to know these characters, getting to know more about the Academy. It's been an enjoyable read, and I can't wait to pick this issue up, so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The founding of the Strange Academy came with some gigantic risks. So far, the students and teachers haven't felt the sting of those risks. That changes this issue. Something horrible is bubbling up in the bayous outside New Orleans, and the students of Strange Academy are going to have to wade in and uncover an evil that they are not ready to handle. So this is a prime example of, like, the kind of stories that should be told uh, in this kind of book, you know, throwing in these students into a situation that they are just not equipped for. And I can't wait to pick this up. This is going to be great. Next up on the docket, we have Iron Man number three, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Cafu. Been loving this book i've i love the kafu art christopher cantwell is a breath of fresh air writing iron man and i've i've honestly been enjoying this like i said this kind of pared down version of iron man obviously with last issue uh he's going up against Korvac, who is not what i would consider a gritty grounded uh character but i'm overall enjoying the book and i can't wait to pick this issue up let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here Tony Stark is getting tired of apologizing for being himself, especially when as Iron Man he's more powerful than most any other human being on Earth. As he wears himself out trying to do everything he can to be a force of good in the world, he's beginning to chafe at the idea that he really owes anybody anything. Is it too much to ask for a thank you? He's been trying to keep his head down and his ego in check, but when Korvac reveals himself as the puppet master behind Stark's latest investment tony will at least have somewhere to channel his anger and frustration that is if he survives the conflict at all so yeah i think uh korvac is an interesting choice for a villain for iron man and i'm looking forward to seeing how this shakes out next up we have champions outlawed number two uh, this is written by eve l ewing with art by simone de mayo uh i for some reason, didn't have this in one of uh, the initial issue in, in one of my uh, previous counts. I've been enjoying this. I really liked the first issue. Uh, Champions is pared back down to its, uh, to its lower numbers, which I like. Um, and there is a promise, as we talked about uh, with the discussion with Malcolm the other week, that uh, Cyclops might be returning to the team. So I am crossing my fingers. We're going to see what happens. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Outlawed Part 2. When clashing protests over the teen vigilante ban break out across Chicago, the champions risk their freedom to protect the young protesters from overzealous cradle agents. But Chicago's hometown hero Ironheart is nowhere to be seen. Where is Riri Williams? Why has she abandoned the champions? And could it have anything to do with the mole in their ranks? So yeah, they made the... uh, tease in the first issue that they have a mole that they have someone who is actively working against them and kind of giving away their plans to cradle uh i doubt that it's riri personally because um to be honest she's gotten enough hate as a character that i don't think they would uh do that at least i hope not uh riri's a great character and i'm i'm inclined to believe that she's not the mole but we'll see how this issue shakes out like i said Enjoyed it. Can't wait to pick up the next issue. Next up we have Punchline Special Number One. Uh, this is written by James Tynan IV and uh, Sam Johns with Art. Let me pull this up here. By murka and Dolfo. I probably pronounced that incorrectly, and I apologize, but Uh, This is basically the big old debut for Punchline. Uh, She showed up and made her uh, Bat Book debut in uh, Joker War, but this is the first book dedicated to her, and it seems like it's going to be kind of an origin issue for her. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis, and we'll talk about the book. Spinning out of the pages of The Joker War comes the first solo book starring the blockbuster new character, Punchline. As she faces the consequences for her role in the Joker War, the story of how Alexis K became Punchline will take Leslie Tompkins, Harper Rowe, and Cullen Rowe on a harrowing journey that reveals a fringe teenager's radicalization to the ideology of a madman. It's a terrifying tale so big it demanded an oversized special issue. Ideology was a tough word for me there. Um, I'm really excited. I'm always a big fan of Harper Rowe. Leslie Tompkins and Cullen Rowe, like, they're great too, but Harper Rowe is my girl. Really excited to see her back and I am interested to see how that shakes out seeing as how she is almost kind of the mirror reflection, but for Batman, uh, Alexis K as punchline, I think is a great character and I'm looking forward to seeing how they expand her here. Uh, next up we have Marauders number 15. That's right. Marauders number 14 dropped last week. And this is the direct next chapter a week later. I doubt that Marauders is going to be a weekly thing, but for this fan of the Marauders book, I welcome it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A toast, a dance, a dinner served, part two. Pretty simple. Um, last issue left off with a hell of a cliffhanger, so I can't wait to see what they do here. Um, yeah, this is uh, chapter 14 of Ten of Swords. I want to say there's, what, 22 chapters? So we're nearing the end game for this here. Um, Like I said, I haven't really been keeping up with Ten of Swords as an event, like chapter to chapter, but I have really enjoyed the chapters that I have kept up with in the mainline X-Men book as well as Marauders. So this, depending on how, you know, this ends up going, I might be in for the last like seven chapters or something. So uh, looking forward to that. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up this week is American Vampire 1976 number two um what can i say the first issue was so fantastic um written by scott snyder art by rafael albuquerque i didn't say for marauders either marauders is of course written by jerry duggan and benjamin percy with art by stefano caselli Um, But American Vampire 1976, I loved the first issue, really enjoyed it, Um, the cliffhanger on that was so great, I can't wait to see what they do to pay that off. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Skinner, Pearl, and a surprising new ally team up to pull off their game-changing heist of the Freedom Train, but time is running out for a nation in crisis. The Beast's plan for mass terror and world domination is finally revealed in sick detail, and as humanity spirals towards extinction, there's a devastating twist. When an unexpected force returns to pick off the VMS's top officials, Travis and Cal discover the ultimate evil has competition, and the final battle will be more merciless than anyone imagined. That's a lot. <laughs> um, this is uh, DC black label. Uh, so they are just able to go balls to the wall with all this. Um, I'm a big fan of Travis and Cal. I like it even more so when they are together. Uh, bringing them together in the first issue was a masterstroke of storytelling when it comes to the larger uh, supporting cast of American Vampire. And I can't wait to pick this up. This is another big week. Um, I'm assuming that the pick of the week is going to be uh, a tight race this time around, just like last week. So uh, to recap, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal, Infinite Hours Extreme number one, Strange Academy number five, Iron Man number three, Champions number two, Punchline Special number one, Marauders number 15, and American Vampire 1976, number two. And that is gonna bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us here on the Geek Explain podcast, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. Also feel free to give us a rating and review. Uh, Really helps me out, really helps the podcast out just kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you. Uh, also, if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever they want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write anything you want. You give me that five-star rating and review, I will read it here. You can join the likes of C-Fire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, and Matt Draper, the esteemed gentleman that they are. And you can also help this podcast out by sharing it around. Share it to your friends. Share it to your enemies. Uh, it really just helps us out. You know, we are a smaller podcast made by a geek for geeks. So um, any help to get us out there and get more people listening is greatly appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainPod, where I post up stuff all the time about the episodes that we release here, as well as different polls that have a hand on deciding certain episodes of the podcast. Our next Geek Explained Pitch It edition on the animated Iron Fist series, which will be in episode number 135, just a couple weeks away, was decided on by you, the listeners of this podcast. So, if you want to keep up to date with everything that's going on, feel free to, like I said, follow us. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, you have a question for me, you want to get my opinion on something, feel free to send your emails to geekexplained at gmail.com. Uh, and that's going to do it for this. week's episode you know a lot of crazy stuff is happening uh, both in this country really around the world and um, it's kind of nice having something like this to kind of focus on Um, it's still kind of crazy out here over in Los Angeles Um, still you know trucking through you know trying to uh, stay sane and stay safe so uh, i hope you all are doing that staying sane and staying safe staying safe is most important safety first and before i get out of here i do want to give a special uh shout out slash announcement uh if you have been following us on twitter then you will know that we are participating in the praise patrol uh series put together by our good brother cole over with critical rants subscribe to his uh youtube channel and basically uh Two weeks' time, you are going to see a slew of videos talking about why we love Doom Patrol. Can't wait to talk about it. Um, can't wait just for you to be able to experience all of the incredible um, content that is being lined up for this series. It's fantastic. I'm really excited to share it with you. Uh, we'll be dropping my. Uh, entry into the series two weeks from now alongside episode 135 uh and you might you might get a little get a little youtube youtube thing on it so um keep your eyes peeled for that uh give them a follow as well as check out their youtube channel uh and get ready to talk some doom patrol really really excited about it so uh that's going to do it for this week's episode tune in next week for our latest Explains spotlight it's been a little while since we've done one. One of those. Uh, same geek time, same geek channel, but for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.